0: Seek shall suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant, whom he delighted. Behold, he shall come.
1: Actually, Malachi wrote that, or, or God wrote that. But I, I really did sing that every, every day for years and years in the temple. And the longer I sang it, the harder and harder it got. Because the older and the older, I got old. I just got old. <laughs> I'm so old that in my day, the Dead Sea... Was only sick. <laughs> I'm so old that on my birth certificate, it reads expired. <laughs> I'm so old that if I were to act my age, I'd be dead. <laughs> I'm so old because the Holy Spirit one day said to me, Simeon? And I said, what? What? And he said, you will not die until you see the consolation of Israel. Isaiah called him the strong arm of the Lord. The strong arm of the Lord. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. And we wanted him to console us by not consoling the Romans. (laughs) In my day, we were waiting for the Messiah. The, the kick-ass Messiah. <laughs> Sorry to use the vernacular, but I want you to understand what I'm saying. We uh, Most of you, actually, are probably waiting for that kind of Messiah, that kind of Messiah, too. You, you think your God is better than the next guy's God because he can uh, kick ass. And well along about zero, we were getting ours kicked by the Romans. Isaiah fifty-two: The Lord has consoled; He has comforted His people. The Lord has bared His holy arm, His strong arm, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of a God. I thought that meant that everyone would see that that Israel would, had won because everyone else had had lost. That we would be first because the Messiah would make everyone else last. You know, that we would be exalted because Rome had been humiliated by the Messiah. So I stood in the temple for years, just staring up at the sky, waiting for the Messiah to come on the clouds of glory. For the Lord whom we sought would suddenly come to his temple. I know that you have been studying the temple. And that's why your pastor asked me to come and speak to you. Uh, Again, I was here seven years ago when you were studying King Solomon's book, Ecclesiastes. And now you're studying 1 Peter. So you know about the living stones that come together in a living temple. And you remember that... King Solomon, he built the stone temple in the pattern of the tabernacle, the, the tent in the wilderness. And you remember that that uh, he built it on the very spot where we believe that Adam first breathed, God breathed his breath, his spirit into, into, into the Adam-making man. Uh, and and uh, it was on that spot that that Abraham sacrificed, or almost sacrificed Isaac, Except for that, you remember the, the messenger of the covenant, he intervened and provided a, a ram or a, a lamb. And that's kind of weird. You know that when Solomon dedicated that temple, fire came down from heaven and consumed the sacrifices on the altar and filled the temple with glory. But did you know that the glory was so great that the priests couldn't even stand? In my day, it seemed that we were hurting for glory. The priest didn't have any trouble standing whatsoever. Now, you may wonder, what did the priest do? My pastor only works on Sunday. What, what did the priest do? Well, mostly they, they barbecued. <laughs> yeah, do you barbecue? Do you? Every time we ate meat, it was a sacrifice. You see, it was a religious experience. Every time we killed an animal, Leviticus chapter 17, we were commanded to take it to the tabernacle at that time, and the priest would drain the blood and offer the blood to God, and then we would eat a barbecue. Have you ever killed a cow, or a lamb, or a chicken? Well, then you know, when you do that, that you just took a life. And you also become aware that you did not make that life. You Americans pay people to kill animals for you and wrap the meat in cellophane that you buy at the supermarket. 36 million cattle a year. And many of you don't even say thank you and you thought that we were barbaric? That seems kind of barbaric. Well, anyway, I just thought the priests, they they would butcher and barbecue and sprinkle. Some of the meat got burnt up as if it was food for God. And most of the meat that we we ate it together as if it was a feast to be celebrated together with God. But God always wanted the blood. The life is in the blood, said God so the priest would butcher and barbecue and sprinkle <laughs> kind of like a rainbow sprinkler when when Moses dedicated the tabernacle you know in the wilderness he sprinkled all the people when we would take a sacrifice to the temple the priest would drain the blood into a bowl And they would sprinkle the altar and they would sprinkle the veil. And then once a year on the Day of Atonement, they would take the blood behind the veil and sprinkle it on the top of the Ark of the Covenant, the very throne of God, the very throne of God on on earth. That was the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. Nazar in Hebrew means to sprinkle or to spurt. Um, The priest would slaughter the sacrifice and the blood would, would spurt, spurt, spurt. See, the temple was like an ancient anatomy laboratory. And so we understood the circulation of blood, the spurting and sprinkling of blood. God wanted circulation, blood flow. And now the creepy part. Not just from animals, But from me, it became pretty clear that the animals were like representatives of me and and you. Genesis chapter 9, God says to Noah, For your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning from every beast and from the Adam, that's humanity, I will require it, your blood. The life is in the blood. That gave me the willies. See, it's not just that God wanted a thank you for the barbecue in the form of blood. He seemed to want my blood. And I kept thinking to myself, but I'm God, I'm, I'm like, I'm using it. So I hoped in God and that He would be an ass-kicking Messiah that would kick some Roman ass. But I was terrified of God that He might kick my ass and then drink my blood. He seemed kind of bloodthirsty. At Passover, so many lambs were slaughtered in the temple that that it would like f- make a fountain that formed a river and would flow out of the temple and down into the valley of Gehenna, and then on to the Dead Sea, the abyss, where men weep and gnash their teeth. On the first Passover, God had the Israelites offer lambs. A lamb can mean sheep or goat. From the sheep or goat, they'd offer lambs for the firstborn, firstborn sons. That's why even in my day, parents were to present their firstborn sons to the priests in the temple. But this is the weird part. Not because God hated firstborn sons or sheep or goats that he had made. Not because he hated them, but because they were holy. And holy things are not despised things. They're like God's precious things, his favorite things. Weird, huh? actually any any time a mother had a baby she was to offer a lamb for a burnt offering and the pigeon for a sin offering and if she was really poor she could just do the two pigeons one pigeon pay attention was the sin offering it would take away what god did not want sin the other offering was the burnt offering the olah and it would like give to god what he did want righteousness. The sacrifices were offered to the fire, for our God is a consuming fire. So fire, smoke, blood, and me in the temple every day, and I should tell you that usually I was kind of stressed. I was afraid of the Romans, but even more, I was afraid of God. Because it it seemed to me that that, um, this is This is what he wants. This is me, an earthen vessel made of dust, and this is the life that becomes my life, and this is what he wants. the sacrifices were supposed to um they were supposed to atone for stuff that means they were to make somehow wrong stuff right and no one seemed to know exactly how that worked except that it didn't actually work god even says these sacrifices atone for unintentional sin which in my way of thinking is not sin. <laughs> it's my intentions that are the sin, my choice, my, my decision. But more than that, more than that, the reason that they didn't work was this freaky weird scapegoat thing. Once a year, on Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, the high priest was to take the blood of sacrifice, like I said, behind the veil and make atonement for Israel. He was to take a ram for the burnt offering. Remember, that's the one thing that God desires, righteousness. And two goats for the sin offering. To take away the thing that God doesn't desire, that's, that's sin. Then, he was to cast lots over the two goats. One goat was to be sacrificed, and his blood taken behind the veil and sprinkled uh, on on the top of the ark to make atonement for the holy place, just the holy place. But then the other goat, over the other goat, he was to confess, and now I quote, all the iniquities of the people and all their transgressions and all their sins, and then they were supposed to let the goat go. In the wilderness, they didn't sacrifice the goat. Leviticus 16, 22, The goat shall bear all their, all their iniquities on itself to Eretz-Gezara, a land of separation, a remote place. Kind of sucks for the goat. Alone in the outer darkness, bearing all the sins of Israel. And kind of sucked for me. I mean, that really stressed me out. You understand? If all my sins are on the goat, then none of them were atoned for in the temple. And where are they? They're wandering around out there in the wilderness. And what happens if the goat decides to come home? I know that you are worried about this. (laughs) You do, don't you? What happens when the chickens come home to roost? What happens when they play the tape on Judgment Day? I said to my friend Anna, Anna was kind of like my, my therapist, also a prophetess in the temple. You maybe read about her. I said, Anna, that whole, that whole scapegoat thing is just so weird. And she said, well, Simeon, it's what we do. It's what we do all the time. We, we scapegoat. It's how we protect ourselves. We find someone to blame, and then we send them away. Cut them off. It's how we protect ourselves, and it's how we form groups. We find someone to blame so that... We stop blaming each other, and then we send them away, cut them off. Then she said, sometimes, Simeon, we can even scapegoat ourselves. If we can't justify ourselves, we just blame ourselves and then send part of ourselves into the outer darkness. That will keep you up at night. But it's true. The Romans were scapegoating the Jews. The Jews were scapegoating the Romans and the Greeks and uh, the Babylonians and the Assyrians and the Philistines. And they were scapegoating us. And you can, you know, just blame and blame and blame and blame. You can follow the blame train all the way back to a garden and a snake and a tree But in the end, there's only one to blame. And here's a really scary thing. I don't think it's you. Did you decide to breathe the breath of life into the bag of dust that you think you are? Did you have the knowledge of good and evil when you first heard the liar whispering in your ear? Did you know what you were doing when you first took the fruit from the tree as a little child? Well, you see, I loved God, but at the same time in a remote part of me cut off from the rest of me, I hated God. Because he created me. And then it seemed like he had forsaken me. Now I was too afraid to even admit this to myself. And so at least a part of me felt divided from the rest of me. Utterly terrified and alone. I was not at home in my own temple. And yet the Holy Spirit was all around me. He would still talk to me. He would rise up from within me. And so I had to speak what he said or even sing it. The Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come. Whatever. Said the Lord of hosts. Boom, boom. See, that's impressive. Religion. So I protected myself from God. But who may abide the day of his coming? And who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire. Kick-ass messiah. But I wondered, um, whom, whom would he be refining? And he shall purify. And he shall purify the sons of Levi. That's the priests. That they may offer unto the Lord and unto him in righteousness. In righteousness. Boom, 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 boom. A right offering. See, the Messiah was not coming to stop sacrifice. He was coming to start right sacrifice because I guess that we had been doing it wrong. And so for years and years, I, I sang and prophesied, sang and prophesied, and he did not come. And now I wasn't sure that I even wanted him to come. I mean, I was running out of steam. I was just, I was tired, uh, you know, uh, uh, almost nothing. It was, it was like I was counting down to zero, 4 B.C., 3 B.C., 2 B.C., 1 B.C. The only reason I kept going is I wanted to see what would happen at Y-0-K., Long about zero, I was so old and so weak, so mournful and so meek, like one of the last and the least of these, so very poor in spirit. And it was then that the Spirit said to me, Blessed are you, Simeon. Today's the day, now is the time. Get your tushy on over to the temple. So I went and, and I waited and I worried. I was checking the sky for Messiah coming on the clouds of glory when the Holy Spirit says to me, There he is. I gasped. I said, Where, O Lord? And he said, Over there, O Simeon. And I said, What? Behind that poor, pitiful little peasant family over there? And he said, No, O Simeon, in the poor little peasant family over there. Uh, and, and I said, You mean the baby, O Lord? And he said, Yep, <laughs> O Simeon. What happened next is very hard to explain. Because it was an apocalypse. What Anna, my therapist, would call a gestalt shift. Everything stays exactly the same, and yet everything changes. Like, like this picture. Is that a duck or a rabbit? Are, are those Rabbit ears sticking out there on the left, or is that a duck bill? Duck to rabbit, rabbit to duck. That's a gestalt shift, a paradigm shift. I'm looking at this baby thinking, is that the lion of Judah? Or a lamb? Or both? Gestalt shift, paradigm shift. Kind of like this picture. That's the Tel Aviv Marathon. (laughs) Everybody's running in one direction. But what if the king of the Jews stood in front of all these Jews and he said, Hey, the finish line is behind you, (laughs) not in front of you. Gestalt shift. First would be last, last would be first. Winners would be losers, losers would be winners. All this time I thought God was saying, Simeon, try harder. And he was saying, you're running in the wrong direction. You're trying to be first and best, and I have called you to be last and least. You're running to save your life, but I'm calling you to lose your life. I'm calling you to sacrifice your life. You see, it wasn't just that the king of the Jews chose to be born to a peasant family and placed in a food trough, surrounded by the last and the least of these, the low-life shepherds. It was what they did that day in the temple. I watched them. They walked over to the priest, and they handed him two pigeons. Two pigeons, and all at once, like a million questions just exploded in my brain, and then a billion ideas, and they all seemed to coalesce into this one idea, this one incredible picture. I thought, why sacrifice for him? Nothing is wrong with him. Why sacrifice for him? The, the Messiah, the, the, the Lord of hosts, the messenger of the covenant, the Lion of Judah, why sacrifice for him? He didn't violate God's will. He is God's will. Why sacrifice for him? God is him. And for that matter, I thought, why sacrifice for a baby, any baby? A baby has no knowledge of good or evil. God God is not mad at babies. And he's not mad at the Messiah. He's not wrong, he's right simultaneously I thought, these poor people don't even have enough money for a lamb. And then all of a sudden I realized, he is the lamb. Isaiah 52 and 53, we never knew what to do with these chapters. They came flooding into my mind. I I quote, the arm of the Lord will console his people. He will be high and lifted up He will be marred beyond human semblance. He will sprinkle many nations. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Like the scapegoat. Like a lamb led to slaughter a burnt offering. When his soul is made an offering for sin. A sin offering. He poured out his soul to death. And was numbered with the transgressors. And makes intercession for the transgressors. Because I guess they couldn't like do it for themselves. He was the sin offering. He made up for the thing we all refuse to do. Which is. Surrender our life. And the life is in the blood. And. He's the burnt offering. He's the thing God wants all of us to do, which is to surrender our life. The life is in the blood. And actually, he is the life doing it, sacrificing himself. He's God choosing to lose that we all might win. He's God choosing to be last, that we all might be first. He's God choosing to give his life, even as we take his life. He's the life doing it for us, and doing it in us, and even doing it as us. He's God repenting us. He's, He's the scapegoat. He's God with us, Emmanuel, where? In the wilderness, in a remote place cut off. A wilderness that is us and now bringing us home. He's God choosing to sacrifice that which we could not choose to sacrifice. Our choice, our decision, our judgment, our self, our ego. Every person in this whole world is trying to save their own life. You ever notice that? And God arranged absolutely everything so that we would watch him lose his own life. Just then I, I heard the Spirit say, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in the Israel and for a sign that is opposed. You see, if someone was running in the opposite direction of all these people, he would be a sign that is opposed. And if he was yelling, hey, the finish line is behind you. Well, that would be good news for the last and the least of these, but it might not seem such good news for the first and the best of these. And yet it would still be good news because if you're running in the wrong direction, you will never, ever, ever reach the finish line, no matter how hard you try. In fact, the gooder you run, the better you are, and the harder you try, the behinder you get, in which the very best case, the best gift for you would be to just let you run yourself out. because you can't reach the end. But maybe the end can reach you. (laughs) He can suddenly come to your temple and make your temple his temple. He is set for the fall and the anastasis, means resurrection of many, The many that fall are the many that rise. And in my language, many often means all. So I looked at the lion of Judah, and I realized that he is the lamb that is slain. I saw that he is love, who constantly chooses to be himself in freedom. He loves to love. Love is choosing to lose that another might win. Love is Sacrifice. (laughs) Love had come to his temple and he was kicking my ass and setting me free from me. Review, review. I saw that the sin offering is the burnt offering. I saw that sacrifice is punishment for what we do wrong because sacrifice is what it means to do right. It's love. So the punishment for not loving is what? That forever and never. and ever you just don't love? The punishment for not loving is love. Yeah, sorry I was yelling. <laughs> I saw that losing your life is the punishment for sin because losing your life is the remedy for sin. It's righteousness. I saw that you cannot just choose to lose your life because it's not actually your life that you, that you lose. You are not the life in your own earthen vessel. And you can't just choose to lose your earthen vessel, which is yourself, for it's yourself that you have to lose. You can't choose to lose yourself with yourself because it's just more self. I saw that it's not your choice. It's God's choice in you. It's the scapegoat in you. I saw that the sin offering is the burnt offering is the scapegoat. I'm saying Jesus is the will of God in you. The will to lose your life and find it. For unless you lose your life, you cannot find it. Because life is a river that flows from a fountain. So if you damn the river, you damn the life in you. And dying, you die. Understand? In the beginning, God gave you your life. And because you did not know good from evil, you didn't know what life is, you just took the life not knowing what it is. One day, the Lord will say to you, the life is in the blood. And today, your life is required of you. If you refuse to lose your life, Dying, you will die. Like a finger that refuses to bleed the blood back into the hand. Or a finger that is cut off from the body and set over here on the side of the table. To sin is to damn the life and therefore be damned in the land cut off. But. The life. Is damned. With you. And in you. And Jesus is the life. Another way to say this. Is that the Lord. Has laid on him. The iniquity of us all. Or the iniquity that is us all. We are the wilderness. Into which. The scapegoat descended. But when the scapegoat comes in from the wilderness, when he rises from the dead, he brings us with him. He bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. He repents us. And he says to God the thing that we are afraid to say. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he says the thing that we cannot say Into your hands I commit my spirit. That's the life that's in the blood. Into your hands I commit my spirit. When you lose your life for the sake of love, you are undamned, you're saved when you lose your life, you'll find it. Why will you find it? Well, because God is love and he just loves to love. He loves to give his life away. He loves to love you. But listen, you don't have to wait for the day that your dying body finally dies to lose your life and find it. I mean, even today, you could just say to God, hey, God, thank you for my life. I love you. And he would say, oh, well, I love you even more. And then you would say, hey, because you love me so much, you know what? I love my grumpy old neighbor who's so lonely. And then your grumpy old neighbor who's so lonely, he would say, hey, God, I repent because my neighbor whom I made my scapegoat, he just loved me. And God would say, well, I forgive you. And then he would say, and I love you. And he would say, oh, I love you so much. And then he would say, and I love you. And you would say to him, I love you. A nice Christmas sweater that you have. And he'd say, well, you are very handsome. And then you both might say, hey, look, there's a lonely guy right over here who who, who needs some love. And you would love him. And he would say, well, I love you. And I love you. And I love you. And God would say, I love you. And, and I love you. And I love you. And you see, if all of this happened fast enough... It would be like a river. And all of these earthen vessels would be like blood vessels. Not vessels of wrath hanging on to every little bit of life, but vessels of mercy bleeding to life. And then all of this earth would like all come together as a body. A living body. You understand? When one body bleeds, in a world that doesn't bleed looks like a man hanging on a tree in a garden crucified. When two people bleed for each other in a world that doesn't bleed, it looks like a marriage. And sometimes it feels like a honeymoon. That's my favorite feeling. And when everybody bleeds for everybody, everybody becomes one living body dancing in delight. In Hebrew, the word for delight, Eden. (laughs) Paradigm shift, the temple is Eden. It's Eden. And you see, when love is not just a law, like knowledge of good and evil that we take from some tree to justify ourselves, when love becomes a life that is given to us on the tree, then the temple becomes Eden. And Eden becomes a city, which is a body, which is containing and growing and ends up containing all of creation. The Holy Spirit speaketh these things unto me, revealed these things to me, and then He said to me, Simeon, don't just stand there like a numbskull, go say hi. And so, trembling and shaking, I walked over to this young woman, tapped her on the shoulder, this young iman, and, and they said, Hayam to life. She turned and smiled, and she handed me, Hayam. She handed me, she handed me life. And all at once I had a vision. I saw fire. The temple was on fire. I saw Romans burning it and plowing it into the ground. I saw a man lifted high and pierced on a tree in a garden. A Roman soldier knelt before him because he could not stand. And fire poured out of this man's wounds like a fountain. Instinctively, I held the baby to myself and I just said, Yahshua, 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 which means God save. And I heard the spirit say, I am. I looked at the baby, and he opened his big eyes, and he just looked at me, and he smiled. He adored me. Oh, come, let us adore him, and he come to adore me. And I mean the poor in spirit, meek and mournful me. Meanwhile, the proud and religious important me has turned into ash, and from inside of me, there was like a fountain of molten gold welling up, refined by fire. I was engulfed in flames, but the baby was unharmed. In fact, the flames came from the ba- His glory set me on fire. It emptied me of me. It was filling me with the new me, filling all of me. I mean, even those parts of me that I had banished from me, they were all coming back to me, but now filled with love. And the people that I had banished from me, all my scapegoats, I saw that they were me. They were the the new me. My psyche, my cosmos, my, my entire new creation, my eternal joy, I had blamed God for giving me his joy. So having known the evil, I now freely chose the good, and the good was everything old, filled with the constantly new, this river of eternal life, and it didn't wash me away, for I offered no resistance. The Lord, whom I had sought had suddenly come to his temple, and that temple was me. And I was entirely at home in me, with him and all creation. I'll be home for Christmas. We can count on him. And then I I heard it. Boom, boom. Boom, boom. Your pastor told me that 13 years ago. Some of you heard it. One man even felt it beating in his hand at the communion table. Boom, boom. Boom, boom. The whole temple was beating like a giant heart. And now the stones had started to crumble. And I was surrounded by living tissue beating like a heart. God is bloodthirsty like your heart is bloodthirsty. In him is life, and the life is the light of men. The light, it flo- life had flowed out from under the throne in the sanctuary of the temple on which stood a slaughtered lamb. It flowed out to all creation, and now all creation had become the courts of this like living temple, and the life returned to the throne as I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is within them praising the lamb on the throne, the baby in my arms, Jesus from the bosom of the Father, the life of God freely given that all might lived their all my love, and that's the name of the game. Love. <laughs> I got four children. <laughs> and their names are Jonathan, Elizabeth, Rebecca, and Coleman. Now, that's weird, because your pastor also has four children. <laughs> and their names are Jonathan, Elizabeth, Rebecca, and Coleman. But my children are 2,035. 2034, 2032, 2029. But when they were little, we used to play foursquare in the, in the basement. You know, you bounce the ball back and forth, back and forth, and we would be playing. And Coleman, the youngest one, not so bright at the time, uh, the little one, he, he didn't understand the name of the game. And so Coleman would just all at once grab the ball, run away with the ball, and hide in a dark corner where everyone else got frustrated and just walked away. He thought he won. He thought he won, but then he would find himself alone in the dark holding the ball. He thought he won, but he never even played the game for he did not know the name of the game. And so I would go find him. And I would say to him, Coleman, buddy, you have to lose the ball to enjoy the game. If you lose the ball for the game, you'll get it back. And all of us along with it and a really fun time. Coleman, you're not happy sitting here in the dark holding the ball. (laughs) Your life is like that ball. Jesus is the life. He's the imperishable Zoe in your perishable psyche. In other words, he's the wine in your cup. And so your life is not your own private possession. You don't own him. He owns you. So pass the ball. This is not just advice for children's games. It's not just advice for the end of days, for Judgment Day. It's advice for how to live your life right now and in the morning. So if tomorrow morning you find yourself sitting alone and thinking, how come no one is passing me the ball? It might be because you're holding the ball. And so pass the ball to someone else, anyone else. If no one's around, which, listen closely, sometimes happens by God's design, pass the ball to one who gave it to you because he's with you and he adores you. Adore him even as he's adoring you right now and you will begin to live. For he who loves is born of God and knows God. May take a lifetime, but... You will live, for you will love, for he accomplishes all things according to the counsel of his will, his word. Well, the vision stopped. And I began to sing. Not because I had to, but because I wanted to. It poured out of me like a river. Hallelujah, hallelujah. For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. and i wasn't alone i had backup every creature on heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is within them i was a priest making a right offering an offering in righteousness i had been begotten from above i was the youngest oldest man at christmas i handed the baby back to the mama and i was still standing and who shall stand when he appeareth? Simeon, me, and you. His body filled with blood, flowing like a river. From the night that he was betrayed by all of us, he took the bread. And he broke it, saying, this is my body given to you. Take and eat and do it in remembrance, putting the members together, remembrance of me. And in the same way, and after supper, he took the cup. And he said, um, this is the covenant in my blood, poured out for the forgiveness of sins, drink of it, all of you, and do it in remembrance of me. You see, it's really quite simple. We are his manger. We are his tabernacle. We are his temple. We are his body. And we are his bride. And he prefers us alive <laughs> rather than dead. So just, just pray this with me, all right? You just do this silently in your heart. Don't worry about it. Just pray it. Jesus, to you, I surrender the temple. And then, come forward, tear off a piece of the bread, dip it in the cup, and then lift up your head. Lift up your head, O ye gates, and be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. Who is the king of glory? Who is the king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. Enough already. I should probably let someone else lead the singing. Um, the, blue, the blue cups are juice. And the brown cups are wine. That one's got a little juice in it. Put wine in it. And you all invited to the table. And uh, maybe you could lead the singing. You, do you know the song, um, young fella? Do you know the song, Joy to the World? Um, do you know that one? That would be a good one to do now. Yeah, we probably could do that. Okay, so, so and when they are singing it, You need to sing it with them while you come up and you take the joy of the world and you put it in your temple, okay? Was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made. That which was made in him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. No one has ever seen God. The only God, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has made him known. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. And in the midst of all this darkness, revealing to us yourself. You're good. In your name we say, that sounds like Jesus right over there, on Christmas Eve. Amen. Amen. All right. Uh, you can snuff out your candle just like, like that. And now, uh, before you go, we have to do one thing, okay? So you all stay standing. Glenn, can you go to the back of the sanctuary, please, with your camera? We need to wish a Merry Christmas to our sister church in the Philippines, okay? So they already sent us. You saw that, right? You saw the. Okay, great. So we're going to send one to them. So that's Glenn back there with the camera, and he's going to video this. And, and now look, you got, okay, look up here for a second, because you got to see what you need to say, okay? At the count of three... You're going to say, Merry Christmas, Abundant Grace and Peace Sanctuary in Rojas, Mindoro, Philippines. Okay? One, two, three. Merry Christmas, Abundant Grace and Peace Sanctuary in Rojas, Mindoro, Philippines.